0: Turn
1: down, baby. Yes, yeah, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. The
2: hits principle is corny, old fashioned, and all that, but you know what? These guys are buying in. And Dan Weader. I get criticized all the time for being negative in
0: my coverage of the Chicago Bears, and I tell people again, it's my tenth season. I have covered one winning season and zero playoff victories.
1: We're going to take the North and never give it back.
2: Welcome in to Take the North, the podcast that covers the Chicago Bears. We are on episode six already after the preseason finale Saturday against the Browns, the Bears, winners 21-20, to ending their first undefeated preseason since 1994. With Dan Weeder, I'm David Hall. At Take the North Pod is where you want to find us on Twitter, at David Haw and at Dan Wieter. And, Dan, you were there. I'm less interested in the history that it made and the final result that it produced. I think the thing to get excited about the most, if you're a Bears fan, the most encouraging thing is the process.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. First of all, I was lucky to get there and lucky to get home, David. I had a a, a travel weekend from hell, three and a half hour delay on Saturday morning. It's one of those risks you take when you fly out the day of a game. And it was to the point where myself, Patrick Finley, Mark Potash, and Caitlin Shark is arriving driving to Cleveland at some point. And we ultimately uh, got the break we needed. They got us a spare plane out of the bullpen, took us to Cleveland. We were able to make it there in time for the game. And then just to top it off, on the way home on Sunday, David, four-hour delay, uh, some of it in the airport, and the last hour on the runway in Cleveland. So one of those things in the preseason that you don't want to deal with.
2: Yeah, that's not one of those things you want to practice traveling. And spare plane is not anything <laughs> any traveler wants to hear i don't want to say it was worth the trip necessarily <laughs> but uh it, it was though no. okay for, from yeah my standpoint, it was the time was well spent and dan i think that you saw some some real significant growth on behalf of the bears offense and i think that regardless of who didn't play for the browns i think the focus is on what did happen for the bears
0: yeah, so I had an opportunity uh, this afternoon on Monday to visit with Luke Getze one-on-one and it's for something that I'll be working on for week one. But I asked him immediately, how do you put this kind of in the proper frame, right? It's obviously a feel-good moment to finish the preseason and you want to build on the confidence that it, that it built. And his first response was kind of, it's the preseason. You know, I, I've been through this enough to realize it doesn't mean a whole lot and that we shouldn't draw grand conclusions from what we saw from 90 minutes of football on a Saturday in August in Cleveland. At the same time, at the end of the conversation, I said, "Listen, are you, so is, is is this about bringing the guys back to earth? Right? Is it bringing them back down so that their confidence doesn't feel overly inflated when it doesn't deserve to be?" And he said, "No, I will never ever try to bring guys down. It's just about building on it, right?" And I thought that was a good answer, right? It's not about it's not about resetting kind of the the mood here as much as it is saying let's let's use this as a step and make sure that that staircase goes upwards as opposed to sideways. And so I thought that was a really good approach by Luke to to try to put this in a proper frame.
2: It was a good answer. It would be a bad problem because this Bears offense has not earned the right to be overconfident about anything. Correct. I think what we saw Saturday night was a step in the right direction, which sets up our opening drive. It's time for the opening opening drive. Dan, uh, what we saw from the starting offense, I think, to me, was a surprise because there was efficiency. There was a touch of explosiveness that you saw a glimpse of. And there was this overall the kind of uh, consistency that I think we all have been waiting to see for a very long time.
0: Well, David, for me, and I tweeted some of this out in a little tweet storm on Monday when I got a chance to watch that first half back in detail, there was such a simplicity to it that was refreshing, right? You didn't need all these complex concepts and all these different personnel groupings and all these different intricacies thing to to, to get an offense to move a little bit. And so I think there is something here that's happening that's significant in the sense that the offense is playing freely, that they're playing without thinking, that they're playing instinctively. And when you're able to, to generate simplicity like they did on Saturday night that creates comfort for the quarterback, that then creates confidence, that then results in production. Now, all of a sudden, you've got that fuel to push things forward. And there were a lot of plays in there that you watch them and you say, this is nothing that is, you know, some crazy whiteboard imaginative design that created this. It's a check down to a fullback for five yards that moves the chains. And all of a sudden you got a new set of downs and you continually hit these, these simple plays that move the chains and then took your shots when the, the shots were there to be taken. And you hit two 20 plus yard touchdown passes from Justin Fields to his tight ends. So there's a lot within there to build on, even though it is still something, uh, you know, very on the, on the early pages of their playbook, the simplicity was really notable to me.
2: Well, I think that's what we talked about last week. Is that when you give Justin Fields less, you're going to get more. And the one thing I've really liked about this entire regime, but specifically the offensive approach with Luke Getze, and I think through Justin Fields is that, you know, there, there's not the attempt – and again, the comparisons are going to be inevitable and it's not intentional, but I think there's not the feeling this year that when you see the bears offensively, that they're trying to impress anybody. Right. Right. They're Not trying to make a first impression. They're trying to make a first down. Right. And that's the only way you can really operate with a young quarterback until you get to that next level, but you're not going to get to that next level if you're trying to give him too much too soon. And so what we saw to me on Saturday watching you know on my in my living room was a, was a matter of a young quarterback who I've always believed when you watch him, whether it's at Ohio State or as a rookie last year, that he's there's greatness within him. Athletically, he's gifted in a way that not everybody is. Yeah. And that that's the kind of thing you'll see come to the fore if you don't give him too much to complicate his brain and also just let him react. So, and that doesn't mean like dumb it down. The Bears didn't dumb it down, it's just that, okay. We're going to roll out here. His footwork is so important to his accuracy. Yes. All those things. And so I think what we saw the Bears do on Saturday night was remind us they're going to be a fundamental football team this year if everything goes by design because, you know what, refreshingly, that is the design, yeah, there's no question about
0: it. And when you have a quarterback that uh, has this competitive drive like Justin has, you have to tap into that, right? And then you have to tap into it in ways that build a connection. And I think that we've talked about this before that there's an obvious uh, bond right now between Justin and Luke. And that's something that can only grow as, as they they put together more nights like Saturday night. Now, hopefully, you get that on a consistent basis when the opponents are more difficult, when the regular season stage is out there for you and the stakes are, are much higher. But at the very least, you even, you know, going back. And, and watching it, every single drive, even the two that ended in punts, I had highlighter around one play on each series because it, it represented something. And even the, the the first pass that Justin had, which was a protection breakdown up front and a throwaway into the bench to me was significant because it was a young quarterback, making sure that a bad play didn't get worse. Right. And we saw that last year where there would be a, a sack for a loss of eight or a, a, a strip that, that turned the ball over. And it was just a, an understanding of, Oh, the, the shot clock is, is ticking down faster than I wanted to. This thing's got to go into the bench and we're in trouble. And those are small steps of growth that, that you can put your arms around when they are followed by three touchdown drives, right? And then you can say, okay, this is this is how we live to see another day. These are the results when we do, and we keep the game on our terms. And and again, a twenty-one point first half lead, whether it's August or December, is is something that that you really want to have if you, you're a first unit offense.
2: Now we saw offensively beyond Justin Fields, who we'll get into in more depth in our next segment, but Dante Pettis, I think, yeah. took a step. Ryan Griffin took a step. Maybe he didn't need to. He just was more <laughs> noticeable. Cole Komet had some nice reward for his good training camp that he's, I think, maybe taking a step. Tevin Jenkins, he had maybe one bad moment, but he had a couple good ones. So I think that overall, he showed them a lot. The one thing we got to get to right away, Dan, is that the trade rumors persist, with Ian Rappaport now joining Adam Schefter in saying that, you know, Tevin Jenkins is being shopped. I still don't know why you would want to develop a, a lineman, change his position, and then deal him but I think that the offensive line overall took a step. So on Saturday, beyond Justin Fields, in so uh,
0: here's where I'm curious with this Tevin Jenkins conversation because it seems to just linger. You always have to ask the question, as you know in this business, on where is that information coming from? Right? Is this coming from uh, a player or an agent that wants out? Right? And are and are are trying to create demand? Is it coming from a front office that's trying to create demand? Is there genuine interest? The third option on that checklist for me is hard for me to believe who is at this stage of the game giving up any sort of draft capital to take a guy who didn't play at all in his rookie season, made a position switch 12 days ago, right? Now 14 days ago now, uh, and and has had two games of uh, video at the position he's currently playing. I just I just don't know where the buyers are in this market, given this stage, and, and, and who's so desperate to add that as the final piece of their championship puzzle. And so then it leads you to ask the other questions. Is this a player that just doesn't want to be here anymore? If that's the case, now we've got another issue on our hands.
2: That's a good point. And that's a good way to break it down. Look, and I, I tried to figure out where this might be coming from as well. The only team I could think of that would be that desperate, frankly, would be the Dallas Cowboys. And sure. you think that they lose a left tackle and they might be looking at somebody like Jenkins and maybe they scouted him well and coming out of the draft and high on their board. But those are a lot of maybes and ifs. Yeah. And I just don't know if they're that desperate because they might go. Like they were talking about Andrew Whitworth last week and isn't this the time of year when Jason Peters ends his annual fishing trip? You know, so he might be available. Yeah. I, I just think that the Cowboys would make sense, but there's no specific team that's being mentioned. It's just vaguely shop for a trade. And I don't. I do wonder about the origins because if it is a front office, I don't understand it because right now, to me, he's closer to helping you as a starting guard than he would be in getting a draft pick.
0: And you've you've spent a lot of time the last few weeks working him uh, and using practice reps with him at the first team uh, offensive line. Another question with this, David, is is Lucas Patrick's status is is integral to this conversation because if Lucas Patrick comes back uh, in week one or week two, now you've got Sam Mustafer as your current starting center who either has to shift over to a guard position or into a backup role. And it's going to be really interesting to see where the coaching staff feels and their comfort level on whether they think that, that Mustafer can help them at guard, whether he'd be better in a backup role. And so there are a lot of moving parts of this that are going to continue to move as as some of these other players come back from injury, Lucas Patrick specifically here. And obviously the the, the roster of here, right. We're going to get our initial 53 man roster at three o'clock on, on Tuesday afternoon. And then, as you know, that's going to be fluid for for 10 days. Right. Until until they get to the, the weekend of the opener and and put together a, a game day roster.
2: Last thing uh, before we move on to the next segment and look at Justin Fields, more specifically, defensively, I, I understand Robert Quinn didn't play. I know why Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson set it out. Roquan Smith, I have to be honest, I was looking forward maybe a series or two just for his vantage point in that 4-3 scheme. I don't think he needs it to be effective (laughs) week one. But is there any reason to believe that we should be concerned with Roquan Smith at the last moment surprising people by not playing?
0: No, uh, I pint, talked to, pint. I, 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 mean, I talk, ask it, right? It, it's, it's a fair question. And, and I laugh because Matt Eberflus, uh defined it as tightness. And then we pressed him later in the post-game news conference and said, uh, exactly where was the tightness? And he said, eh, it was just, tightness, right? And so so we know what that means, right? You can read between the lines and understand that this was a business decision. And it was, a, a quite frankly, a practical and smart business decision by the player. When you don't have your long-term security uh, established and, and you don't have the, the contract that you wanted, you have one choice, right? And it's to protect yourself and protect your future assets, which is your body and your, your ability to play. And there is zero point in putting that on the line in a Saturday night in Cleveland. And so I think Roquan made the right call there. The bigger question for me is, does this signify sort of the disconnect between Roquan and the front office slash coaching staff in a way that's going to linger all year because right, like tightness may pop up in November if your team is four and eight, right? And all of a sudden you're, 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 you're starting week side linebacker says, ah, feeling a little tight this week. Not sure. I really want to want to play this one. And now you're going to have to deal with this because the, the, the dynamics of the situation are such that, that Roquan has to look out for himself at the same time that he's looking out for the team. And that can be complicated all year.
2: It's the obvious conclusion to jump to that nobody really wants to make. But I think that uh, until he starts to stack some games and get back to being the player that he says he is and we have seen him to be, then it's a fair question right now and it's not a big deal because it was only a preseason game.
0: So a little funny footnote, we were sorting through our postgame uh, interviews in the press box in Cleveland late Saturday night and Brad Biggs was trying to, to figure out what was going on with Roquan, what was going on with Jalen Johnson and and both of them were scratched from the game with tightness and he said, do you think that, that Jalen caught the tightness from Roquan? And I said, well, no because Matt laid out the timeline as Roquan's tightness began in the pregame on Saturday. Jalen's apparently happened during the red zone practice on, on Thursday, so Roquan would have had to catch the tightness from Jalen. So if tightness is contagious around here, it may have spread the Bears' defense last week. General soreness can be an influential (laughs) commander. Just remember that. That's right. In any any locker room.
2: All right, let's go to our QB one segment. Take it a closer look, the finding moment for you when you watch Justin Fields up close and personal. Damage. So I t-
0: – I changed this, David, this afternoon. I changed my my decision on this because of some of the conversation I had with Luke Getzey, the offensive coordinator, and there were a couple options I had here. First of all, Justin, 14 for 16, 156 yards, three touchdown passes, 146.9 passer rating. That's a brilliant performance, you know, right? We can put it in all the context that's out there, and Matty Rufus was asked, well, do you have to, to, you know, remind yourself this was against the defense without Miles Garrett and Jadevian Clowney and and Ward and some of the other players that, that the Browns were holding on? He said, listen, that's all speculative. All I can judges what he put on the field tonight and what he put on the field was great. So my defining moment is the first pass of the night, first completion of the night, which is a, a short six yard completion to fullback Kari Blazing game in the flat. And here's why it's significant to me, David, because Justin Fields took what was there for him, right? And he didn't try to do too much. And this is in, by his own admission post game, a big step in his development where he's not getting greedy, where he's understanding that six yards, seven yard, eight yard gains can be tremendously beneficial to the flow of an offense and so he gets out on a play action rollout he's got a number of different combinations of targets because of the route combinations but he sees that his fullback is open right away hits him moves the chains first down it's significant because later in the the second quarter they run the exact same play and it's the one they hit to, for, for the touchdown to Cole Komet and this time the defense bites down on the, on the fullback route in the flat Justin's able to manipulate some things with, with one, the speed of his rollout. right? You can control things with how fast you're rolling your right. And then secondly, his eyes. All of a sudden, Cole Komet is uncovered at the goal line, and you've got one of the easiest touchdown passes you'll ever have in the NFL. All you got to do is not screw it up. Throw it out there, make sure your tight end catches it. And so the combination of being willing on that first play to take a six-yard dump off and then when it's set up for a 22 uh, or 24 – I think that was the 24-yard touchdown to Komet – just shows you what an offense is supposed to do and the the options it's supposed to give you and the rhythm and the evolution that can come when you're in sync like that.
2: See, I love that choice because number one, it's not obvious, but number two, it's the way that the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach would evaluate it. But to me, my guess is that when they evaluate that film, they're not looking at his three touchdown passes or any of the other plays they're looking at that play. You just described so well, because of the way it set up another one, the way it represented growth, and just how significant subtle things can be in the growth of a young quarterback. I'll take the gimme then. I'll take the (laughs) obvious because that 22-yard pass, that that scoring toss to Ryan Griffin in the end zone, me represented so much else. And, again, we are getting carried away. I felt like this is sort of like the Horstead pass last year, like he made (laughs) so much out of that one play. But I think this year is a little bit different because of the – factors surrounding Justin Fields that make it a little bit more conducive to improvement, and he's going to get a chance to this year. I like what happened with the Griffin pass because when he, number one, moving in the pocket, number two, setting his feet, and I think mechanically that's what I concern myself with most when I look about, okay, what's going to hold Justin Fields back? The supreme athleticism is never going to leave him, but in a way to try to hone that, and so he's mechanically sound, fundamentally smart, and these kind of things, You've got to see that. And so when he's pointing his feet and and he and he's throwing the ball exactly how he threw it with the touch he re, that was required to put between two, two defenders in the end zone, clutch, clutch play. And you need evidence. Of the fundamentals for a young guy that might be, you know, conditioned and programmed to trust his instincts and athleticism throughout his career because they've always worked for him. But that was evidence to say, OK, Justin, when you do this, well, when you roll out, when you point your foot that direction, you get your feet in time on time, then you're going to you know, be able to put the ball where you want it just like that. So to me, that was the defining moment for him.
0: Right, and 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 look, that's good protection. It's good timing. It's a it's a ball delivered at the right angle and the right velocity. Beautiful play for the first touchdown of the preseason for the first unit of offense, and you see what that unlocks when they get going, right?
2: Yep, on the bright side, and then on the conversely, the uh oh play. All,
0: all right, my on the bright side is a play that didn't go as designed, and it was a third and eight. It was the Bears' only uh, conversion of the the first half on third down, and it's the play where Justin Fields feels pressure and spins out. The back door of the pocket, right, and he gets out on the, on the move to his left, and then all of a sudden he he fires a, a no looker to Dante Pettis right beyond the sticks on the left sideline. I was enamored with this play, watching it in live action. I put three stars on my on my spiral notebook to say, "Wow, that was that's a moment to go back and watch." I watch it again on Monday morning, and I say, "Man, there's there's some cool stuff here with just his ability to, to feel that." Well, then I talked to Luke Getzey. I said, I, I, "I'm curious what your assessment was of that play." He said, "My favorite play of the night by far, right?" And so the offensive coordinator says that, and he says, "One." because Justin showed pocket feel right and he, and he knew the exact moment that it was time to escape right that that was something that the offensive coordinator said this is this is perfect this is what we want him to do he says secondly he gets out and he never lost eye discipline right he looks to the outside realizes it's not there looks back inside and by looking back inside now the defense takes his eye, his eye bait and goes back inside, and now he's got the no-look shot to pet us along the sideline, first down, move the chains. And so there's a, just a sequence of things that happen there, and it's playmaking artistry off script by a young quarterback that leads to results, right? And you know this league is all about how do you do on third down, how do you do in the red zone, and how do you do making plays that when, when, when there's nothing there, right? And, and Justin Fields showed on that particular play that he could cash in Make a big play, move the chains, and, and keep that offense alive.
2: Okay, so I'm good. You have an uh-oh play though, yeah.
0: You, you have I'll, little... I'll
2: give you. I'll give you your on the bright side first,
0: and then I'll come to my uh-oh.
2: Okay, uh, my bright side is just the fact that on the on the Dante Pettis play, I think is more the connection finding another receiver besides Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet that he could go to rely upon and put the ball where it needed to be. With Tajay Sharp going out, you know he was a guy early on, but he unfortunately. Has been injured. Is that what his absence has been explained by? So Dante Pettis gets an opportunity in somebody else's absence, steps up. Justin Fields says, I don't care who I'm throwing to. If it's not Darnell Mooney or Komet, I can still make the throw. I made the throw. So I think on the bright side, to use the segment words, on the bright side, anytime that Fields develops some chemistry with another receiver in an open competition, it's a good thing. So this is going to be redundant. My uh oh
0: moment is just the, the, The unnecessary hit that Justin took at the end of a scramble. Now, listen, to his benefit, he got the 15-yard penalty at the end of a scramble for once, and and he doesn't need to lobby the officials repeatedly to get this call. There's a sense that that he's too young or too uh, unestablished or unproven right now to get that call on a consistent basis. Well, he took a shot. After the game, he relayed to us that he was a little dizzy getting up from that shot, right? And so all of a sudden, you say, okay, this is the uh uh-oh moment, right? If, If you're not graceful with your slide, if you're not well-timed with your slide, you're going to take these hits. We saw Mitch Trubisky take a couple of hits during his career that cost him you know, two starts, right? And, and, and all of a sudden you're in Chase Daniel mode for a couple weeks, and, and now all of a sudden you, you're, you're regrouping in that regard. The Bears don't want to have to regroup with Justin Fields just based on the fact that he's a little bit late sliding or doesn't slide low enough or, or just doesn't do it gracefully enough. So again, we, we this is, I think, three weeks in a row where we've had one of these tuck-and-run scrambles that, that leave you kind of holding your breath. They got to get that out of his system in some way shape or form obviously you hope defenders start to not take his head off but again you don't want your quarterback dizzy at any point of a football game so that's always going to be an uh-oh moment
2: you just traumatized half our audience with the chase daniels <laughs> reference just for the record i I'm, 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 I'm think it's a conservative estimate but nonetheless i couldn't let that go and check that with it's a huge audience
0: moment. too so that's a exactly. lot of people
2: <laughs> exactly so I, I'm I'm with you there because that was the obvious one to me. You know, when he went down and got hit, you were like, oh, and that was literally what I thought about. Like, okay, there it is. And the thing I liked about this time, and I guess that's way, a wrong way to word it. The thing that at least happened this time was that there was a flag, number one. And I'll say this, the defense of the Justin Fields, I mean, it was like somebody, yeah. was, somebody scattered cash around him. The <laughs> offensive lineman scurrying to the pile, looking around like, what can I do? Where is it? And who is who, responsible for this? That's good. That's a good reflex. And that's, again, that's tied into this whole culture Yes, that we're seeing. So even though it was an uh-oh moment, you don't want to risk injury, we were, I, I was relieved to see at least, number one, he got up and got the call, and number two, there were people there ready to defend him.
0: I like that you use the word reflex because I think it's become a reflex, right? And I think it's become a coached system that has had brought this reflex out where guys react that way naturally. Whereas maybe a year ago, six months ago, Last month, they may not have been as quick to to start the fracas after, uh, after a shot like that.
2: You can coach effort. There's no doubt about it. You can coach effort, and we're watching it happen right now, and that's a good way to put it. All right, the big number. What is so, yours?
0: So my big number is 44, and this is the gains on the three plays that followed Ryan Griffin's holding penalty. If you remember, Ryan Griffin has a hold there in the first quarter that negates a big 23-yard run by david montgomery and all of a sudden you say man this is the, exactly the kind of error that always sets bears offenses back now you're all the way back at midfield you're probably going to end up punting from plus territory and you're gonna be like man that was a wasted opportunity what do they do they come right back fields to pettis for 14 fields roll out to Comet, who fights for the first down for eight then they get a, a encroachment penalty uh on the browns and then they turn it into the fields to griffin touchdown pass sweet relief for ryan griffin to overcome his own holding penalty by scoring the touchdown, right? And just that a quick strike ability to put that error in the rearview mirror and not let an impact a drive, that was huge. And it's just not something the Bears have done consistently in the past. Asked Maddie Refluse and Justin Fields after the game, what's the value of, of being able to do that? And it's just uh, the ability to overcome adversity quickly and not let something like that kill you. Just get back to the drawing board, right? Just get back to the, the simple plays. And that first pass is just a curl route, schoolyard curl route to Dante Pettis, who runs a, a Absolutely precise route. Justin makes a trust throw because he trusts his receiver. Releases it before before Pettis even begins to turn around, and you've got 14 of the uh, 14 yards back. You've got the holding penalty plus four more yards back, just like that. On they go.
2: All right, that's a good one. I, I think my big number is three because I think it's the number of touchdown passes. And Pettis, Komet, Griffin, without the touchdowns at the end of the drives none of this other stuff really is as significant, really, yep. let's face it. Because what is it we've been saying all along is that, oh, yeah, this is a great little design, and, boy, this is a great guy who fits in this offense and great fit here. If you don't score touchdowns, none of it matters. And the problem with the Bears in the last, you know, since 2018 is they stopped scoring touchdowns. Yeah. They'll get they'll get the still kick field goals or they'll have penalties or they'll have drops or whatever. When you have three touchdowns in yep. one half and it's your number one offense, This is why you play the starters in preseason. This is what you're looking for. This is why you didn't take the night off and hand Justin Fields a cap after nine plays. You needed evidence, not only of coaching, but of their work, of their effort that you have coached. And I think that, to me, was as significant as anything because you gave them something to build on, tangible, points. 21 was enough. (laughs) So that's what you take away, to me. From Saturday night, as much as anything, the big number was the number of touchdowns, and that was three.
0: No question, we don't see three touchdown passes in games from Chicago Bears <laughs> quarterbacks. Three touchdown pass halves deserve a celebration. Get out the kazoo, woo, blow the blow the blow the New Year's uh, party favors, and, and 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 celebrate that thing.
2: All right, time to give out some game balls. <laughs>
0: The obvious choice there is Fields, obviously. We, we've talked about him at length, and, and and he gets a game ball for everything we just talked about in that previous segment. But I'm going to go ahead and give another one to Dante Pettis, who, as we've talked about, seized an opportunity here, right? The the the, the receiving core had, had open jobs. Dante Pettis was a guy who didn't sign here until May. It was after the draft, signed a one-year deal, which essentially allowed him to come in here and compete for a role. As everybody else has fallen by the wayside right, and gotten injured and not been able to participate in training camp practices and not been able to participate in games, Pettis has come through and stepped up. He's got special teams reliability as a returner, but he has three catches on Saturday for 37 yards. His touchdown is as simple as it gets. right? He's just got one-on-one matchup to the left side of the, the field, runs a beautiful route, makes Greedy Williams freeze to the inside, breaks out, Justin throws a perfect ball, it's a touchdown. These are the types of things you need to develop your passing game. You need receivers that run precise routes, And Justin was very clear after the game and saying Dante may be our best route runner on this team. That's a big deal, right? If a quarterback can trust a guy and and make that endorsement, you're going to be there. Luke Getzey followed up on that today on Monday and said that there's just a patience to the way Pettis runs routes and that he's he's willing to, to get close to a defender and there's no panic in him and that he can smell a defender's breath and then make his move, which I thought was a cool way to phrase it. Pettis has shown an ability to get open. I think he's going to win a roster spot here. Certainly worthy of a game ball on Saturday night.
1: How about you, studs? So, yeah, again, besides the obvious, Justin Fields, I think I'm going to go with Tevin Jenkins because I've been, especially as, as we watch more isolated camera work on him since the game on Saturday, he looks real. He looks good. He looks like he could be a starting right guard, and, and they might have unlocked something there. So I'm going to give that to him, and especially when you consider, I mean, he's only been playing in position for, what, two weeks, a little over that Maybe it's his second time in game action doing it. And he was a lot of times going up against, uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but the Bengals starting defensive tackle that he was matched up on on him in pass pro a few times, and he looked good doing it. So I'm going to give my game ball to to Tevin Jenkins. And I'm not really buying into the trade rumors at this point. I think like you guys were saying earlier, I think it'd be really weird to change his position, have him look good, and then move on from a guy that you're not – is not costing you that much against the cap right now.
2: Yeah. Let's hope Tevin Jenkins doesn't take his game ball and leave town. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and maybe well played. Him. I'll, I'll, I'll hunt him down if he doesn't get it back.
2: <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go with a guy that I know that probably more transparent and predictable, but Kyler Gordon is, is one of these guys. I, I said Jaquan Brisker at the beginning of camp. I was looking forward to him playing. He's not been playing. But Kyla Gordon gets a chance on, on Saturday night. And on third down, two or four, it was third. He was lined up in the slot. That's all yeah. I know. And he was across yeah. from David Njoku, a tight end. And they went to him on third down. And Kyler Gordon, not only, if you watch his feet, defended it perfectly, did not get separation when you see tight ends often get separation, which means he's not going to be just easy to toss around. I know I'm overanalyzing one route and one play, but he hasn't played a lot. And I think when you see the way that he broke on the ball, made the pass break up, and then, you know, number one, it's just hey, it's it's nice playing third down. Number two, using him in the slot opens up a little, so many more options for you defensively with your roster, who you keep, who you play, how you can do this, how you can do that. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're like if you're Allen Williams, you, you're more you're you can have more options. You have you can trust him, and I think that in one. I don't say play, but one night, I think that was one of those things that I think he's definitely uh, proved to me. So he gets my game ball.
0: He plays with a fearlessness, David. That's obvious. And that's one of those plays that that just shows it, right? It's a rookie who's very comfortable and very confident right away. I like that choice. And he gets the honorary take the North game ball. We should really start handing these out out here.
2: That would be a good idea. Maybe in our budget, we can afford a game ball. (laughs) I do want to mention one other thing before we get to the two-minute drill that my my first thought, and I don't like to necessarily give them to coaches, but uh, I know you heard from him today, Dan. Luke Getze continues to make uh, decisions and to talk about his offense in ways that encourage Bears fans or should because he isn't here to impress anybody. He is here to make an impact. There's a difference, and I think that he almost looks like this. Nobody is egoless. But I think that he is trying to incorporate. Uh, it's almost like a pay-as-you-go plan. If you're kind of you know paying off whatever bill you have, you know he is going to throw as much at Justin Fields as he can handle, but not overwhelm him because it's all in his scheme. There aren't so many pages you have to read per night. It's like, what are you comfortable with? How are you going to grasp the material? And then we'll quiz you on it. That kind of an approach and that works.
0: Well, David, that's really poignant that you you said that because Luke has talked about how much he's challenged these guys since the day he got here. And he challenged them a lot in the spring and in the early parts of training camp to figure out how much they could handle. And now they've reached a stage where it's, you know, they've identified what guys can handle and what they can't. And they're, and they're adapting, right? And, and they're, they're streamlining. And they're doing the things that coaches do to make sure that you create comfort. Because without comfort, you cannot play well, right? And so that's the first step. And so it's been an ongoing process that's been very successful. I'm going to make you an offer here because this might work for us. If you want to have uh, an interview heavy uh, show later this week number one, we're going to have a special guest later in the week can't can't alert that one just yet. But I the one on one I did with with Luke today was so good that that I think I'll, I'll cut up some of that some of that audio and share it for our audience because as you said I think I think when you listen to Luke you feel confident about the plan and the vision and that there's some of that within that interview that I think our audience would benefit from.
2: I think it'd be great. Let's do that. Let's plan on that, studs. Because later in the week we can hear more in depth from Luke Gessie. Because for my money I'm not sure there's as there, there's nobody any more significant that they brought into their organization last offseason, then Luke Getty, the offensive coordinator, which in Chicago, as we know, historically, one of the biggest, most important jobs in town. So that's a good idea. Let's go to two-minute drill. The two-minute drill.
1: The two-minute drill.
2: Dan, I just want to quickly, any injuries of significance that we should worry about lingering into week one or preparation for the 49ers?
0: <laughs> because Matt Eberflus is so vague with his injury updates, he, when he said Eddie Jackson on Saturday night was day to day, without telling us what Eddie Jackson is dealing with, you always say, well, what, what happened here? Like, what, what what's he again, I'm not really worried about that. But there, there's so much uh, effort put into being vague and evasive on the injury topic that it's going to get really frustrating. The good news for us is that starting next Wednesday and the Wednesday of week one, Matt has to. Report body parts with his injuries for the official nfl rules and so when we get injury reports each day we're going to at least know what guys are dealing with and what body part that they're actually uh dealing with i would say the the biggest one to keep an eye on are are the recovery timetable for lucas patrick as we talked about earlier and then jaquan brisker right are we going to see him on the practice field uh in the early parts of next week and is does it position him to play in week one that's the one i'd circle at the top of my sheet what do you think of dave montgomery Well, listen, I think that his presence is notable to this offense, and it really allows you to do things in the play-action game that you want to get to obviously had the big run called back by the holding penalty. David runs with a aggression, right? That is, is notable and it's tone setting. And I, I, you know, it didn't strike me as much in live action as it did in the watchback on Monday morning, that the, the way he was running created an energy amongst the, the offensive line. Right. And then all of a sudden you get that, that tandem effort of running back, running hard blockers, blocking hard. And now it adds up as you go forward. And so, uh, you want to see a better per carry average. I, I think, let me take a look at his final numbers. It was nine carries, 28 yards. That's not going to get it done in the regular season, but just the mere presence allows you to get to things in your offense that you need to get to. So uh, let's see.
2: You guys impressed with Justin Jones as a lot of people have been and how important is he to stop in the run?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that's a guy that is not currently on the radar of a lot of Bears fans who we're going to be talking about in October is saying, wow, that was a pretty good pickup. You know, a guy who, who feels very comfortable in the role that they're asking him to play and is, is more than capable uh, of being a guy that can help you in multiple ways on the interior of your line. And so that's uh, one of those free agent signings that I don't think we've spent really much ink or airtime on at all. And, and we may look back by Halloween and say, man, we should have been talking about this guy more.
2: You know, I think everything is fluid when you're talking about trimming your rosters and those yes. last few spots between you know 45 and 53. Frankly, I think you start to wonder about mixing and matching. But generally speaking, when you talk about Ryan Poles and the traits that he values at bottom of the roster, guys, some people go in those spots strictly for skill, athleticism, and have you done it before? Can you? What is your 40 time, and can you can you track this down? Other guys might be that's a spot where you're going to have like, okay, these are the under uh, undrafted underrated, chip on your shoulder football guys. Is there a tendency yet, or do we know, which way Ryan Poles might be
0: leaning. Well, listen, you've got to, in these final meetings, you've got to figure out, number one, where your depth issues are. And sometimes that's tied to injury. Sometimes it's tied to talent. And, and right now in their receiving core, they're dealing with injury issues, right? And so you may have to stack the roster initially with some extra help there just to make sure you've got bodies for weeks one and week two. I would think that, that you know, we don't know. Byron Pringle, there's another injury we haven't brought up. He We haven't seen him on the practice field in three, four weeks now, right? And so is, is his readiness for week one going to be there? How long is it going to take him to ramp up and get back into shape. You're obviously going to keep him on your 53, but now if he can't play a role for you in week one on game day, how do you make up for that? I I would think Nikhil Harry would be another guy that you keep on your initial 53 because then you put him on IR the next day and you free up a roster spot, but now you've got the option of bringing him back by keeping him on your initial and then putting him on IR and maybe bringing him back in a month or so. And so they've got a lot of things to figure out there. You also know that you talk to your special teams coordinator a lot in these closing hours here to say, hey, who's... Really going to fill what role here, and and how much do you value this guy over this guy? This guy can be a pretty good, uh, you know, fourth cornerback for us, but he doesn't really play a role on teams for us. Do we, do we stash him somewhere else? Do we cut him? Those are the kind of discussions that go on here. And then I think the last part of this discussion for me is that Ryan's got to keep his eyes on the waiver wire, right, and and figure out what the other 31 teams are doing and who they're launching and and who might be worth a claim Um, because you, you have to wait until I think it's noon on Wednesday, maybe 11 AM Chicago time that you're then able to put together your practice squad after all the waiver claims are made. And so there's going to be a lot going on here in the next 48 hours for, for them to sort through.
2: My last question for you, the very last one, is pure meatball. Maybe studs should ask it, but I'll ask him <laughs> um, Kenny Galladay. Is he a possibility of being on the waiver wire? Could the Bears possibly bring Kenny Galladay, Gall- Galladay home to Chicago?
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, so that seemed to be some surprise news out of New York over the weekend. Kenny Galladay was forced into action in the Giants final preseason game. Brian Dable was uh, very noncommittal when asked if, 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 Kenny Galladay's roster spot was secure in jeopardy. And so certainly that's a big name wide receiver who was available in free agency, you know, a year and a half ago and now maybe looking for another new home. My worry there. I mean, for a team like the Bears, you want to be able to roll the dice on guys that have high upsides when, when, when you see a chance to do something like that. So it'd be worth a look. But he's been hurt so much. During his career that do you really want to to add to a uh, injury depleted receiving core with a guy who might be injury prone. And so, uh, hey, listen, that's certainly a name that's worth talking about in the next 48 hours the next week. And if he becomes available, uh, the Bears are certainly a team with a receiver need that that would certainly be worth having at least some discussion inside this building about where he might fit.
2: There'll be a lot of names flying around, a lot of cuts being made. Things will be fluid at the bottom of the roster. We will be right here for you. And as Dan said, our next pod at the end of the week when it drops, uh, likely on Friday morning, we'll have an interview extended with Luke Getze as Dan talked to him one-on-one. We'll have maybe another surprise along the way, and we'll look ahead at what this roster looks like heading into week one. There's plenty to talk about. There always is. Anything else to add, Dan? Before we go, I'm glad you're back from Cleveland safely. I'm glad you didn't have to use your thumb or any other uh, anything else to get home safely.
0: Yeah, man, look, I like. I thought this was going to be the easier road trip of the two preseason road trips. You go to Cleveland, you take a day of flight, you're in, you're out, and then, then all of a sudden it looks like the trip to Seattle might have been a little bit smoother. But that's neither here nor there. Audience doesn't care about my eating habits in the Cleveland airport. But uh, I think my, my, my lasting thoughts here, David, are that I'm excited that the bridge is here to take us from the preseason to week one. It's going to be really fun next week to have an opponent right in a real game and to, to really dive deep on the 49ers, figure out where they're at with Trey Lance. Figure out where they're at and their state of development with kyle shanahan and we've got a we've got a fun opener right It set up yeah. it sets up to be a fun opener it is a fun and opener. i think as much as anything that this game in cleveland for the bears was very well timed right because it 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 it, it provided a blast of optimism for the fan base to, to ride as we cross this bridge into week one. And I think everyone will enjoy enjoy riding that, even if uh, the long-term prognostications that we can draw from it are, are minimal.
2: I think that Trey Lance struggling last week it, it, it really made that an interesting matchup because of you don't know about Trey Lance. You still have questions about how he's going to come out of the gate. And if you ever want to play the 49ers, you want to do it in the opener, on the road, in your building. So that added a level of intrigue that may not have existed already. And I disagree with you too, totally about our audience being interested in your eating habits at the (laughs) Cleveland Airport. Audience, you should see this guy put away the sandwiches you should see this guy eat don't let the thin frame fool you he can eat with the best of them his metabolism is crazy and we'll have more details on that throughout the season I had two tacos at the
0: Great Lakes Brewing Company there and then after the second delay I went down to Carrito, which is a nice place and had a health nut smoothie which was filled with some nut butter and some other stuff so oh, yeah. I'm sure
2: that was very healthy that wasn't 1100 calories at all dad no problem <laughs> alright stay right here with us we'll be back later this week to talk about the roster cuts you can find us at Take the North Pod at, at Take the North Pod on Twitter. You can find him, Dan Weeder at Dan Weeder, W-I-E-D-E-R-E-R on Twitter, and me at David Haw. Thank you for listening to episode six. We'll be back for you, Bears fans. It's Take the North Pod for Dan Wheater. I'm David Haw and Adam Stadzinski. Have a great week.